What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Tonight, 
And anybody else that wants some, you're going to get smoked from now on. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 301 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, brought to you today and powered by the IRW Network. Head on over to IRWNetwork.com and check out brand new episodes of the Triple Threat podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas, as well as us, the two-man power trip of wrestling, uploaded every single week with brand new content from you, the fans, as well as from the mind and the world of the franchise Shane Douglas. And again, it's over at IRWNetwork.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only John Paz. And John, as we move forward here into the next post-300 episodes, we started off in a big way as we welcome in one of the premier members of a tag team from the 1990s and of WCW, and perhaps ever, as Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat joins us today for episode number 301, and he is embarking himself on his own podcast ventures, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but what can you say about Stevie Ray and his brother, WWE Hall of Famer Booker T, and the team of Harlem Heat, obviously literally dominating WCW for years and years as the premier tag team with feuds with the Steiner brothers, the Nasty Boys, and a couple other pretty key teams of the era. Harlem Heat really just defined themselves as the top upper echelon of the tag team ranks in World Championship Wrestling. And Stevie Ray being the older brother, always being the one to kind of be the watchful eye over the duo, whether they were managed by Sister Sherry or they were managed by Colonel Parker. There was always something, or even Miss Jackie, there's always something going on with the Harlem Heat. They were always involved in some of the top storylines. But when you think about Stevie Ray and you think about what he's done post-Harlem Heat, obviously he had his own little singles run. He joined the commentary booth in WCW. But since Stevie Ray ended his career and walked away from wrestling, he has kept rather active in terms of the broadcasting world, always kind of keeping his, uh, his hat in the ring, so to speak, when it came to opportunities down in Houston and where they live. But I'll tell you what, it's Stevie Ray's brand new podcast that brought him to the show today to talk about it. And Stevie Ray definitely has a lot to do on his show, whether they're talking about WCW or they're telling road stories. And they're kind of going deep into a lot of the things that went on backstage at WCW, but from Stevie's perspective. And obviously, with the tenure that Stevie Ray and Booker T were both in the company, there are a lot of stories to be uncovered. And John, this is a topic and this is a subject that I know you just get so deep into and WCW being your absolute 100% wheelhouse. This was a an absolute thrill to get Stevie Ray on the line. But as it is with some interviews, you just never know how long they're going to be. And when we get on the phone, I could say, John, what do you think we got here in terms of time? And you'll tell me, you know, we either have kind of an open book or we have 30 minutes, we have this, and we did not know what to expect from Stevie Ray. So strap in because this is nearing our epic territory 
And it's quite the chat. We really dive deep, and Stevie gets very deep himself. And I think you're really going to take a lot away from this interview. So, John, as I welcome you in here now, kind of talk about Harlem Heat, talk about the impact they had on WCW, as well as what they've done all time in terms of that team and their tenure together, but also what his podcast is doing, as well as kind of the uh, the duration of this interview, nearing that epic territory, like I said, but really covering a lot of ground with a tag team specialist, the one and only former leader of NWO Hollywood, Stevie Ray. Yes, Chad, you said it right, buddy. We were in epic territory as far as the length of time for this interview was concerned. And of course, we're talking about the amazing interview with Stevie Ray, one half of one of the greatest tag teams of all time, arguably the greatest tag team in the history of WCW. Of course, I'm talking about Harlem Heat. And sometimes, like you mentioned with these guests, you never know quite the length of time you're going to get with them. You never know how they're going to be. You know, it's kind of an unpredictable world we kind of live in as far as just doing straight interviews with these guys. And you know what? Stevie was unbelievable. He is such a great talker. And you think about you know the length of time for this interview but you also think about how he had his own has a radio show straight shooting with stevie ray he's got his own podcast which is stand up for greatness which is uh, done by title match wrestling and is available on itunes you know he was a great great commentator while he was in wcw loved him doing color you know there's so many great things you know that kind of leads you in the direction where wow like stevie is just an unbelievable talker and it's going to be a great convo and those were the wishes before the interview, and obviously after it was done, it was, whoa, like that was a great amount of time. Obviously, epic territory means it was a little bit longer than our normal interviews, which is great. And, you know, since this is my WCW wheelhouse, I just loved it. You know, I just love Stevie, always was a big fan. If anybody, you know, follows the show or knows me personally, you know, I was a huge, huge WCW guy. He used to love Harlem Heat. You know, anything pretty much WCW and any of the great wrestlers and great talent that were part of it I loved and especially when you get to a guy like Stevie who back then you didn't realize was such a good talker but now you're starting to realize what a good talker he is and I was at the WWE Hall of Fame when Booker T was inducted in Madison Square Garden over there in New York City and Bruno was there and Bob Backlund and Donald Trump and Vince was a part of it and Stevie Ray stole the show out of all the and Mick Foley too I gotta mention that as well because he is known as a great talker but Stevie Ray stole the show even amongst all those great talkers so that just goes to show you what a great talker he really really is and you know I gotta mention I love his time as color commentator obviously stepping away from the ring and transitioning to the announce booth is is quite a task but he did it quite well and back there in wcw he worked a lot with tony shivani worked some with michael tenay and we've got some great stuff and some great stories about some behind the scenes stuff with shivani and with tenay so that was great we also talk about him being arguably the greatest tag team of all time or being a part of it with booker t and obviously that's harlem heat we talk about global wrestling we talk about the nwo we talk about the Steiner Brothers, we talk about WCW Tag Division, we talk about what it meant to him to be a 10-time WCW Tag Team Champion. There's so many great stories in this interview. You know, you're really going to love this awesome chat. It's just so much good stuff. I don't even want to, you know, keep on going on and on about it. I just want you to send it off to the interview already because you got a good one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of uh, the Harlem Heat's Stevie 
Ray. Absolutely. And please go out of your way to check out Stevie Ray's brand new podcast, a part of the Title Match Wrestling Network. Stand up for greatness with Stevie Ray. It's also on iTunes, and you can check it out. It's been doing really, really well so far, and Stevie is having a ton of fun doing it. And as we know with Shane Douglas, when these guys get into it and they're starting to enjoy it, it's a magical, magical, magical thing. And the content that we can bring to the listeners is a very, very self-fulfilling job. So we absolutely love it. And we hope you check out Stevie Ray's show. As he says on the episode, he's going to have Vince Russo on his program very, very soon. When it comes to Vince Russo, there is never a shortage of social media promotion. So obviously, if you see it, click on it and take a listen to Stevie Ray and Vince Russo. But again, we want to thank Stevie for coming on. And we want to thank everybody who made the episode number 300 featuring Terry Funk such a resounding success. Uh, the articles that were written about it, the response on social media, and the response from all the quote sheets. We appreciate everybody. We appreciate all the downloads. We appreciate all the listens and all the love. We are going to continue to bring you the best possible interviews that we can on this program and spread the word as we always ask you in the TMPT business. Just keep spreading the word of the two-man power trip and we will keep delivering for you the listener. So, John, as we wrap it up here, why don't you take us the rest of the way, hit us with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Stevie Ray. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road. September 9th, the Subway one-year anniversary in Keensburg, New Jersey, with the hardcore icon, Tommy Dreamer. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 1125 with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. There will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former 10-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Television Champion, a one-time leader of the Vaunted NWO. He is one half of Harlem Heat, 
He's a radio show host, a podcast host. He is Stevie Ray. Please enjoy. How's it going, guys? Oh, Stevie, it is, uh, it's pretty damn good to have you on the line. I will tell you that. I'm very, uh, very excited to talk to you about the fact that not only can we go over your career, and obviously uh, you do that yourself now because you are also in the podcast world. So welcome to the world of podcasting. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. Uh, the podcast thing, I'm really, I'm really loving it. You know what I'm saying? I've done so many other people's podcasts. I figured I better start my own, you know, so I can uh, kind of chronicle some things that I want to chronicle. So, Stand for Greatness with Stevie Ray. You can download it on iTunes. And if you like WCW, you like WCW stories, and you want to hear things that happen in the career of Stevie Ray, uh, you get your more than fair share on the show with you. And we do a show kind of similar to it with Shane Douglas where – we chronicle things that happen in Shane Douglas's career, but what you guys do in picking topics and picking actual shows to go over, I love that concept. And I guess the uh, the first question would be, how did you come about with that concept and really getting the podcast off the ground? Actually, uh, um, my buddies that work with me on the podcast, they they had, I guess, worked with uh, a couple of other guys on some podcasts that didn't work out. And they had asked me about podcasting a while back, man. I don't know, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And I was like, nah, man, you know, because I do a radio show here also. I'm like, hey, man, I'm kind of concentrating on, hell, it might have been six months ago uh, um, that they asked me again. And I was like, okay, let me think about it. And then, you know, once we sit down and kind of have things, I said, man, you know, I look at all these podcasts, and they all are kind of similar, and that's really just not my niche And trying to poke fun at different things and wrestling all the time. And 
you know, so I thought about it for a little bit. I said, tell you what, let's give it a shake, and let me see how I feel about it, and uh, we'll go from there. And as we did a couple of shows, and I was seeing what I liked, and I saw what I did like, and I said, okay, let's, tw- let's tweak here, let's tweak there, because I'm more in the entertainment game, and that's what kind of gets my juices flowing, entertainment, more than just idle conversation. So once we started doing it in other ways, it's okay. It started coming coming together, and uh, and here after a few months, yes, this is where we are now. Stand up for greatness, man. It's going very well. No, that's so cool to hear. Yeah, it's really, it's definitely cool because you bring a really unique take to a lot of things, and you know the stories that you come up with are uh, they're always entertaining, very funny, uh, and very detailed too. Which I love to hear that, but. You know, you talk about in doing something different. Obviously, you know, with our show, we do straight interviews because obviously we're outside the business and we want to ask the questions that the fans would want to hear, you know. But with you guys, right. when, when a wrestler gets a show, I love when it's different. I, don't, I love when it's not, you know, and this is nothing against guys, wrestlers who interview other wrestlers. They are interesting in their own because that's a conversation between contemporaries. But I, I really like when you can have – the different dynamic and you talk about different things and you can kind of go all over the map. And I mean, really, does that make it easier for you as, as a co-host to really be able to reach different topics and rather just stick to one singulary deal, whether it's wrestling or, well, or what do you like being able to jump around? Well, 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 that was the whole thing. And that was the thing I was telling uh, my guys, how many wrestling stories can you tell brother? I said, people want to, people, people out there that are fans, they really want to know what you're thinking about, you know, and people that are not fans want to know what you think. What's really going on in this guy's mind about certain things? And I'm like, okay, I can do that. If you want to, I can be truthful. If a question comes up or a topic comes up, I'm going to give it to you the way I want to, you know, the only way I can give it to you is the way I see it. And that's the only way I know how to be. That's why... Uh, my radio show is called Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray. And that that slogan came from Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone used to call me that on the show, Straight Shooting with Stevie Ray. So, matter of fact, I just did I just did an interview with Tony uh, yesterday on his uh, show. And uh, we talked about how he gave me that uh, that uh, slogan, you know. And he was like, well, tell the radio station, that, you know, I need 20%, you know, off the top. And I was like, <laughs> It was really funny, but you know, hey man, that's you know, people want to hear interesting things, and uh, I know I'm not one to just want to hear the same old conversation over and over, like Frost Nixon or interview or something like that. And it's like, okay, how many times can you tell a story, behind the scenes story, that's pretty, you know, pretty run of the mill. You know, and frankly, those are stories. Those are stories I've heard. I, I remember telling a story on my uh, podcast one day, and I told people how Rick Rude, back in the day when we he first came into, uh, no, not when he first came in, when me and my brother first came into WCW, and we was on the road, and Rick Rude was on the same town we was on, and early in the afternoon he would always gather us around, you know the. The guys, you know, the, just coming in uh, and tell us stories. And we always remembered that. And I always remembered how he always had a punchline at the end of it. It was so funny. So I figured 
that's how the, those are the kind of stories I want to tell, like Rick Rude used to do with us. God rest his soul. Yeah, Rick Rude. I mean, he's been brought up to you know our show with Shane Douglas as well. He's a guy that I think a lot of people want to hear stories about because, unfortunately, you know, he's been gone for for quite a while. But you know, and just kind of continuing with talking about other topics outside of wrestling. I mean, you look at how wrestling wrestlers with podcasts. I mean, there's, I mean, not a dime it does. There's a lot though. I mean, there's definitely uh, there's a fair share of a genre just of wrestling podcast hosted by wrestlers, but. You know, when you got your start kind of with the broadcasting, when you were getting in the announce booth, I got to dial it back to Tony Schiavone. Was Tony Schiavone a guy that helped you kind of transition from the ring to the uh, to the headsets while you guys were still in WCW? Yeah, he was. Uh, him and uh, uh, Mike Tanay. And, uh, you know, kind of gave me, you know, kind of sit me down and, you know, made me more comfortable at what I was doing and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, t- I tell those guys all the time, every time I see them, I owe them a lot. A lot of people don't realize, though, that's what I actually I was going to go to school for. I wanted to be in uh, that's what I wanted to go into, you know, and radio, stuff like that. And as I got older, you know, I, I kind of lost interest in it. And because uh, I used to DJ and stuff like that in clubs back in my younger days, things of that nature. Well, I kind of grew out of that, you know what I'm saying? I never thought it would all come back around uh, years later. So here we are, you know, WCW came to me like, you know, we want you to go out and start broadcasting because I'm, I used to do the uh, play-by-play in the dressing room sometimes, my brother and I. And we would do the play-by-play in the dressing room and somebody got light of it and next thing you know, I'm out there doing it in front of the people. <laughs> I got to tell you something, you got two fans here on the show because uh, it's one thing when we talk about, you know, those later years at WCW, one of the highlights is definitely your commentary just because it was different than what you were getting at the time and it was one of those first kind of, uh, you know, outside of the box choices to put, you know, in the color seat which is really cool, but I also love the fact that, you know, I always thought as a fan growing up that you were a great talker, and I always wonder why, you know, when, when Booker, when he first started to go and, and to go towards the singles route, I was like, wow, you know, I think Stevie Ray is the better talker here. I think he can do a lot of magic uh, as a singles competitor, so I always thought you were a great talker. So that's really cool to see that you were kind of pursuing uh, broadcasting outside of uh, wrestling. So, once you were done with wrestling, is that where you decided let's just take off and follow that broadcasting path? Actually, no. Um, I used to go on the uh, radio show here uh, for years. I've been going on the radio show. And when, if I had something going on, if I was promoting something, so on and so forth. And just to go on and talk about sports uh, on a sports show here in town. And... Uh, they would always call me to, for me to come in and talk about certain things in sports, and I would come in and give my perspective on whatever the deal was. But I would, I would give it to them uh, kind of like how I do on the podcast. It might be a little of Stevie Ray. It might be a little of, you know, really talking about real sports. But I started doing that because that's when the people loved the, the lines would kind of really start to go off the hook it's when I would get into a controversial type of conversation with the sports guy. And people really loved that, you know. So one thing led to another, and 
next thing you know, they were calling me down all the time, you know. So after a few years of, you know, just going, then I was like, the owner of the of the uh, radio station was like, hey, man, we got to get your own show because people love to hear you talk. And I'm going to work on that. You know, how would you feel about that? And I'm like, well, if I got time, yeah. But uh, so that's where everything came from. Next thing you know, they gave me my own show. I'm uh, going in, I'm like a year and a half into it now, my own show, not just going on the radio show. And, uh, you know, we tackle different topics because a lot of people didn't really realize how how well I was up on certain things like uh, just, you know, social issues, politics, so on and so forth, and they wanted to hear my perspective on it. So that's what happened. I, I, I got to ask this, and this is usually the setup because John is the, uh, you know, he's the, the technician on the show here when it comes to the careers. I got to ask this. What's the one topic that you are absolutely not tired of talking about, but one of the ones that people ask you about all the time and it's like t- retelling it or going back down memory lane again is always like the kind of like the eye roll, like, oh, boy, here we go again. What's that one topic that people ask you constantly about on either your show or, or on your radio show? Um, one topic. Probably, why didn't you ever go to uh, WWE? Probably that one. You know, so, but, you know, um, you have you have fans that may have heard a conversation about it, then you have a figure other fans that's never heard it. So, you know, I don't mind answering it, though. Matter of fact, uh, the last three shows I've done on my podcast have been uh, live. I go live now and I take questions from the audience. And uh, that question always comes up, you know, even though we kind of skip over it. But uh, if I see it on some of the uh, videos that we put up, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer it then. Now, you know, speaking of WWE, I was at the Hall of Fame ceremony induction at MSG a couple years ago with Booker, and it's funny, me and my brother both turned to each other after the night. We said, wow, Bruno, Foley, Trump, Booker, you know, they're all there, everybody's there, and Stevie Ray stole the show. You were unbelievable. What was it like that night? I mean, you were, first of all, you were on fire, but what was it like that night inducting Booker into the Hall of Fame? Oh, man, it was great. It was great, man. Uh we had a couple of a couple of days. We were there a couple of days before all that all that stuff went down. So, um, and uh, you know, my family, some of my some of my family was up there, and uh, some of my buddies from uh, Houston, uh, they came down also. They're also friends with my brother, so they were very proud. Also, and uh, we had a great time. It was it was just electric, man. It was just electric. I you know what. Everybody kept asking me, hey, man, are you nervous? How do you feel? You know, this was, you know, before the show. You know, it's such a big production. And I'm like, no, bro. I mean, I've been in front of so many big audiences, it just don't bother me, you know? I don't know. I just, I'm just one of those guys that really don't let anything bother me, you know? I was prepared, and uh, I'm looking at, Guys in the back going over their speeches with their reading glasses on and this, that, and the other. And and people was asking me, hey, man, where are your notes? I'm like, they're in my head. I don't need them. 
I'm already I'm prepared. So when I came out and everybody gave me the, you know, the ovation and started rooting Stevie Ray, I almost forgot everything that I was prepared for. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't expecting that, you know? So it threw me off, man. I swear to God, it threw me off. And I was like, oh, no. Then I looked in the audience, right? I look in the audience, and I see all these guys that I used to work with staring at me. I was like, wow. At that moment, I was not ready for it. So I had to just put my head down. I looked down so I wouldn't look at them. And I, all, everything kind of came back to me then, and then I started everything out. That was – I'll never forget that, man. I'll never forget it because it threw me off. I was so ready until I walked out there. Yeah. But uh, it was a cool night, man. Very cool night. Electric night, to say the least. I mean, it, it, you were, were on fire. Obviously, you know, Booker T was on fire. Were you kind of surprised that the you know the the northern quote unquote northern fans in New York WWE they took to the Harlem Heat so well and they took to you so well? Was that uh, a big surprise to you? Because you know you didn't really wrestle too much in the Northeast. Uh, you're right, and and you're right. I, I that's why it surprised me so. You know, but every time we come to that area, you know, I've come to that area a zillion times. You know, like just doing appearances and stuff. And I've always got a lot of love from that part of the country. So, but I still wasn't expecting what happened. But uh, you know, Harlem Heat kind of left a real residual in professional wrestling. You know, all over the United States. Well, basically all over the world, and I'm, that's something I'm very proud of, man. And uh, one thing I would always tell people, I never wanted people to remember Harlem Heat any other kind of way. And that's one of the reasons I did not want to go to WWE, because I didn't want to be turned into something else. I wanted people to remember us as two ass-kicking guys. They came out and turned it on every night. And that's something I'm proud of. I, mean, I want people to remember it like that. Obviously, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Definitely the greatest, or one of the greatest tag teams in WCW history as well. But, you know, Chad said before, was there a question that you kind of heard a lot of? And we always said WWE. I thought you were going to say the infamous I'm Hulk Hogan, I'm coming for you line. I thought you were going to say that uh, you, you got asked that question too many times. Well, I really don't care about that question because it really ain't got nothing to do with me. That's more my brother's thing. That's more of a question I think he might have gotten tired of. You know, people ask me about it. They're like, hey, man, what were you thinking? You know, hey, whatever. You know, I wasn't really thinking about it because I'm getting ready to do my life. But I've, I've, I've told that story a few times on a different podcast with people, um, maybe two or three times. I know I told it on mine, I think, and I told it on a couple other guys. Um, that, you know, so it don't really bother me that much. It's actually funny, man, you know. But uh, they were, people ask me, what were you thinking? I'm like, I wasn't even listening to him. I'm waiting to do my lines. So in essence, I'm not sitting there listening to him like a fan at home is listening to him. I'm listening to him subconsciously because I'm waiting to do my lines when Mean Gene comes to me. 
So I'm not sitting there listening to him word for word, and I didn't even realize he had did it for for a minute because the clip on YouTube, it kind of goes off before Mean Gene gets to me. But if you watch the show, you know, then I go into my whole soliloquy of whatever I was saying. Really, I really don't remember. But uh, I know we had to say something about Hulk Hogan. And this was right before we had to go out and work. So that's probably why I was so messed, got messed up, because I think my brother was thinking about two different things at the same time. And, yeah, it was what it was. But, no, that's more my brother's stick, not mine. <laughs> It is a you know very infamous moment, very funny moment, and Sherry's reaction as well it was 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 quite funny too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a like I said, it was a gaff. You know what I'm saying? And in all actuality, I had actually forgotten about that until it came out on YouTube several years later. Wow. And people started telling me because it was just a night. I mean, I swear to God, I was just doing a story last night on my podcast, and somebody sent in a question that made me remember it. Up until then, I didn't even remember this story. And once somebody said something, it triggered something in my head. And uh, I told the story, it was, you know, right before we went off the air. I said, speaking of whatever made me think of it, I said, speaking of so-and-so, let me tell you this story before we go. And I told a story, and the story was about Matt Damon. And um, that was, uh, that's just me, man. I don't take, I've told people a thousand times, I've never taken pro wrestling home with me. It's a job that I go to. And when I'm there, I'm all in. When I'm not there, I'm all out. Definitely one of those YouTube sensations, like that video. Obviously, like you said, it, it got a lot of on YouTube, and it's one of those ones that you see has a you know hundred thousand or, or more, a ton of plays. yeah. Just yeah, it's just one of those things, right? Yeah, I mean, at one time they had taken it down. I remember back in the day they had taken it down, and some kind of it resurfaced. So it'll forever live in professional wrestling lore. I mean, it is what it is. What can you do? Well, no, I don't get – I get asked about that, but it don't bother me very much because it's really not my gaff, you know. Yep. So. Now, now, as far as you and Booker, obviously Harlem Heat, one of the most well-rounded and accomplished tag teams ever in wrestling, 10-time champion, every, everything like that. But what is it about you you and Booker and the chemistry? Have you always had that chemistry? Have you always been, you know, the big brother looking out for little brother and you guys just were able to click? You know, what we we always studied professional wrestling. And we didn't study it like people think we studied it. We studied professional wrestling. We had no intentions of being a tag team. None. We just wanted to be professional wrestlers. A lot of people think that, that we got in the business of brothers and we came from wanted to be a tag team. No, we never, ever thought about being a tag team. Ever. I was going to get a tryout in Global. And, uh, I was, you know, in South Texas, I was one of the big heels in South Texas. And I, they gave me an invitation to come for a tryout in Global and uh, talk to Eddie Gilbert, who was the uh, booker for Global Wrestling at that time. And they were on ESPN every day. So 
I'm getting ready to go down there. And I called my brother and said, hey, man, I got a tryout. Uh, you might you need, you might want to come go with me. You know, so we, he's like, okay, cool. So that next week we went down to Global Wrestling Federation to talk to Eddie Gilbert. And after the show, he brings us in his office. And uh, and my brother walks in with me. And Eddie looks up and he goes, who's this? I said, oh, that's my brother. And he said, your brother? Nobody told me you had a brother. He said, does he work? I go, yeah. He said, how long has he been working? I said, we started in the business together. And he's like, really? Hmm. And he sat down at his desk and kind of looked around. Hmm, okay. He said, I'll tell you guys what. Y'all come back next week and we'll talk. And we was like, damn. Came all the way down here for, for nothing. <laughs> so the next week we go back down. We go back down there the next week. After they get through with the TV taping, he brings us in the office and he goes, you know, know something? I got an idea from last week when I met with you guys. And my idea is that I'm looking for a good uh, African-American baby-faced tag team that's well-spoken, that's well-dressed, that the fans can really get behind. Do you think you guys can do that? And then I'd rather go, uh, well, yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. Uh, and then he said, have you guys ever tagged before? And me and my brother go, yeah, 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 we tag all the time. And he's like, okay, cool. Next next week, you guys bring your gear and everything. You guys can get a tryout next week. Me and my brother had never tagged together before. Ever. Because he was always a baby face when we worked independent shows, and I was always a heel. We never did. Now, we tagged against each other before, so I guess we wasn't lying. So we really didn't lie to him because we didn't, he didn't specify if we ever tagged against each other or with each other. He just said, have you ever tagged? And we said, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we come back the next week, and Eddie Gilbert was fired. And, uh, okay, and Wild Bill Irwin had took over the book for a minute, and he was like, okay, I'm still going to give you all your, your tryout, you know, whatever. That don't mean you got a job, though, but since y'all already down here, we get you a tryout. We're like, me and my brother looked at each other like, well, it ended before it even began, you know. So so we go out. They put us against these two guys. My brother remembered their names. I can't remember their names. Uh, and I guess they were getting rid of these guys, too. I guess they're going to get rid of all four of us on the same night, you know. They're probably sitting back there in the dressing room laughing their ass off. Everybody probably was. Look at these four idiots. You know, they just don't know. They're all canned. Uh, I'm just, I'm just assuming. But anyway, uh, we're getting a business from some of the guys, you know, like, hey, man, you guys working with Full Force or whatever their name was, Magnum Force, Full Force or whatever, and then they'll give you a look like, okay, better you than me, you know, they give you that look, you know. So, man, my brother got together and said, man, are you getting the same feeling I'm getting, like, you know, you're getting ready for slaughter? And my brother was like, yeah, I'm getting that same feeling. I said, I tell you what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out here and make these guys look better than they ever looked before. And my brothers were like, okay, cool. So they came to us and said, this guy's the heels, do the baby face. We went over a match. And we went out there to do the match. Now, then you, granted, we've never been in the sportatorium before. We walk out, and the people booing us and calling us every racial epithet in the world. Okay, we get in the ring. 
Here come the heels. They're rooting for those guys. You know, <laughs> what the hell is going on? Okay, whatever, you know. We start the match, and, and I can't even remember what we did in the match. It was a dark match, so you probably never find it on tape. And uh, me and my brother, and granted, we've never tagged before, but by the fact that I've always been a heel, I knew what a baby face does. So I was just kind of like following the lead of, of my brother, just following the lead and, you know, doing, you know, big man baby face stuff. So they finally get the heat spot on my brother, and uh, they didn't know how to get heat on a guy. That was one of their downfalls. So my brother is in the ring telling these guys everything, every spot to do. Okay, pick me up, take me to the Okay, do this. Now it's coming up. Go over there and uh, get mad at the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Go get some heat at the crowd, you know. Do a false tag. He's telling these guys every single solitary move to do. That night they looked like a million bucks because he was selling for them. Okay, shoot me in and give me a clothesline. You know, he's telling them because they didn't know how to keep the heat up. They would, they would get lost. So... Uh, my brother finally does a spot where he, I don't know, I can't remember the spot, double clothesline, I mean a clothesline, both of them, flying clothesline. He makes the tag, I come in, boom, 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 knocking him, boom, 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 we're selling, blah, blah, blah. And then the thing is this, we walk out, we're getting booed like crazy and been called everything under the sun. Mid-match, everybody in that building was rooting for us to win the match. <laughs> Mid-match, just like the Rocky movie against the uh, Russian, just like the Rocky movie. And then when we went over, at the end, the, fuck, the place went crazy. You know, and that was our tryout match. We come in the back, and everybody was like, good match, man, good match. That was good, blah, blah, blah. Before that, nobody even said anything to us. And I can't, I've never seen those two guys. That was, the last, that was the first night I met them, and that was the last night I ever seen them. Uh, and they, got, they came up to us and said, hey, man, we really appreciate what you guys did out there for us. Nobody has ever worked with us like that before. And we appreciate that, man. And he said, you know, this is our last night. And one of them said, this is our last night, man, but if we don't ever see each other again, hey, man, I got a feeling. He said, man, you guys going to make it, man. I just want to tell you that. He said, y'all going to make it. And the rest is history. Awesome story. And after that, after, then after that, we got a job. They came, Bill over and come, oh, yeah, you guys come back next week, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, two months, a month and a half, two months after that, the building was full with everybody. We were calling ourselves the Ebony, Ebony Experience then. The building was full with people with Ebony Experience size. And that was the beginning of something great. And of that course, be- that was that was a be- that, that was the beginning. Yep. And of course, that's those that's legends, jammer, uh, jammer and slammer of brute force, great tag team. Okay, something like that. Yeah, I, I met them that first night. I've never seen them again. <laughs> I don't think I have either. Not a yeah. very uh, memorable team, but obviously Harlem Heat is a very memorable team. Where at that point, the Ebony Experience was that name something you guys created or something that was uh, handed down from the booking team? I can't even, I can't even remember. I don't, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know if Eddie gave us that name. I don't know if we came up with that name. I have no idea. I can't remember. That might be something you might want to ask my brother because I don't remember. Ebony Experience. That's a good question. That is a damn good question because I have no idea. Hey, you guys did have some uh, some pretty good opponents. Obviously, uh, nothing against brute force, but uh, when you go up there against uh, Iceman King Parsons and Brickhouse Brown, then you're dealing with two pretty much uh, accomplished veterans. Was that uh, a totally different ball game? Well, the thing the thing is the thing is the thing is this: everybody we worked with were veterans. That was the one great thing about Global; it had nothing but veterans. We were the we were the only green guys in there. Along with a couple of other guys, you know, that were single wrestlers, I, I can't remember now. But as far as somebody getting a push, we were only green guys. Everybody else had been in the business for quite some time. That were helping us, you know, helping us with our craft. And we'll always be, you know, grateful for that because we learned everything from Global and working with very experienced guys. Yeah, they always had those good veterans like a Rod Price or a Blackboard or a yeah. John Tatum. Alex exactly. Guys that, that are really good in the ring, but the fans might have not realized how good those guys really were. Right. The fans realize entertainment. That's all they, that's all they want. You know, professional wrestling is not about how good somebody is because there's always somebody better than you. But at the end of the day, do you entertain the people to make them spend their money? That's what professional wrestling is. This comparison of somebody and how good they are, not, who measures how good somebody is? Because one style may offset another and vice versa, depending on who's watching. You can have people do 50,000 somersaults and land on their feet and never draw a dime. But you can have guys that never leave their feet that people can't wait and spend thousands to see them. That's pro wrestling. That's the dynamic of entertainment. Very, very true. And, you know, you never know quite, you know, who's going to get over or or who's going to pop up on TV here. So when you guys kind of, obviously, you know, you went to Japan after Global or, or kind of in between there, but who kind of noticed you from WCW were like, hey, look at these guys. These guys, are, you know, they're over. They're great wrestlers, great look, great team. I think, I think, I think every, to be honest, I think everybody saw us. Everybody saw us. That I know for a fact. But I, uh, Sid Vicious is the one that contacted us from WCW. But, I, you know, apparently they were watching, and, and New York was watching too. We were getting, we, we had heard certain things. And we were just ready to do whatever we had to do to be what we had to be. WCW came knocking first, and that's, why we, that's where we went. And as soon as, after a uh, couple of years there, Two, three years there, uh, maybe four, then we started talking with uh, WWF at the time through a liaison because we were still on the contract. But our contract was getting ready to be up in about nine months, maybe close to a year, something like that. And we were going to play out our contract and 
we were going to go to uh, New York. But then they tore our contracts up and gave us three times more money. So we ended up staying there. Can't beat that. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> it's funny. We knew, we kind of knew that was going to happen, though. We kind of knew it. You know, we kind of knew it. And, uh, People kept coming up to us and asking us, different people, hey, man, I hear you guys are talking in New York. And we would always go, no, nah, man, we're not talking in New York. Where you hear that at? You know, we're not. I mean, every day somebody would say, hey, man, I hear you guys are talking. Well, I mean, we can't talk to anybody. We're under contract, brother. We wouldn't do that. So I guess the office got wind of it. <laughs> so we got pulled into the office and say, hey, man, we're tearing your contracts up. Wait, no, we could have said, no, 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 we don't want new contracts. That's okay. <laughs> we could have said, but then, uh, <laughs> but then uh, we was like, okay, you know, we'll give you guaranteed this and guaranteed that and blah, blah, blah. It's going up this much this year, this much this year. And I was like, we were like, okay, then, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll we cool where we at then. So, you know. So that's that's what happened. Now, was that Bischoff pulling you guys in and saying, we're going to give you a better contract, we don't want you to leave? Well, we never said we were leaving. He just pulled us in the office and gave us a new contract. <laughs> we never said we were going anywhere. We never had any communication with Eric Bischoff about our, our deal. We were satisfied with it. Because you know they gave us our they gave us our first big big break you know, so we're we're loyal guys you know. So you know hey they 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 uh, put us in position to do what we did. So we never said uh, I mean he never said we don't want you to leave because we never said we were going anywhere. That was other people asking us that we've never said anything. And they definitely did give you that uh, first big break because at, when you first started, obviously, as Kane and Cole, you guys were pretty quickly thrown into a War Games match with the aforementioned Sid and with Vader as well against Sting, Davy Boy, Dustin Rhodes, and Shockmaster. So did you feel like, wow, you know, we're uh, pretty much in the main events pretty quickly? Yeah, because that's kind of unheard of. But if that's what they wanted, hey, you know, that was more Sid. You know, Sid was kind of like uh, running that whole angle there. So it was what it was, man. Just go in and do what you do, you know. Yeah, I still remember that. I still remember that. Uh, I still remember that uh, show and that eight-man tag match. Yeah, they threw us right, in, right in the front. Threw us right in the front, man. They definitely must have liked what they saw out of you because you're right. I mean, pretty much immediately, well, not so much immediately, but very quickly, 93, they throw you right into the main event. Was there pressure on you and your brother at that point or, or more, you know, kind of You know excited? what, bro? I, I don't, I, I, not, I mean, it's just another fucking match. The way I looked at it, you know, even though it was a big match and I hadn't really worked with these guys. I mean, I, you know, as a professional wrestler, I'm, you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about doing what you do. 
I mean, I don't know about other professional wrestlers. I was just going to say myself. I know. I mean, because we, we hadn't been on the big stage with that many people, but we had been there for a while before we did the match, if you know what I'm saying. Been mm-hmm. there for a while, yeah. doing, doing other, other matches and TV, TV matches and stuff of that nature. So it was a uh, first pay-per-view, but, you know, it, it was just getting your feet in the water and, you know, once you get your toes wet, hey, jump in. Now, you guys were Kane and Cole at one point, but then you became Booker T and Stevie Ray. I was always curious, was there a reason behind the name change? Was that you guys pushing it? Was that Well, we were Booker T and Stevie Ray in Global. Yep. And and the Kane and Cole thing, I don't know. I think it had something to do with logistics or legal, something like that. And once all that got straightened out, then we went back to uh, – Stephen Booker. And then they paired you with Sister Sherry, and I feel like that was a match made in heaven. Great pairing. Did you like Sherry? Did you learn a lot from her? Was she, you know, as crazy as some of the stories you hear? You know, we, I mean, yeah, we went to Sherry. Actually, we chose Sherry. Hmm. We was at a TV taping one day, and she was like, hey, you guys looking for a manager? And we was like, yeah. I said, but we're going to tell them we don't want a manager, you know, because had, we had did some auditions with some other people, and uh, we was like trying to figure out a way to tell them that we didn't want to, we didn't want a manager. And uh, she was like, uh, a TV tape one day said, "How you feel if I was your manager?" And we was like, "Are you kidding?" She's like, "No, really, how you feel?" And we was like, "Cool, cool." And uh, she said, "We left that." She said, "Cool, I'm on." I'm going to go ask the big guy about it and see what he says. And uh, he's like, okay. Next thing you know, she was with us, and the rest is history. You wouldn't necessarily think it's a great pairing, and then you see you guys together and you see the chemistry, and it really did work out quite well, and I really thought that was a great pairing. And it's funny how some of the pairings happen sometimes, how it's not just – put together by the booking committee. It's put, put together by, you know, the boys, if you will. Most fucking booking committee don't know nothing, no how. <laughs> you know, seriously. <laughs> but uh, we didn't want to be with a bunch of lulax, you know, out there that didn't know what the hell they were doing. Kind of bull crap that you see on television today. Sherry's a real worker. She's a real worker. She's a real... She's one of the boys. She's one of the guys, you know, and she knows the business. That's what made it work. You know, whenever we tell her, hey, this is what we want, you know, you do this, walk out this way, act this way, blah, 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 boom, she could do it, you know. She was a heel's heel, not somebody, you know, you know trying to be a heel. She was a real heel, a real heel, more heel than me and my brother. That's what made it work. You know, the interviews were strong. You know, everything was strong. Everything was strong and on point. That's what made it work. That was gold. It was gold. Yeah, we're tripping. We worked at it. Yeah. 
I felt like they really rewarded you guys. They gave you the, the tag team titles. Was that any different for you, or was that just another day of work? You don't really think about winning titles and being the champs. Man, I don't give a fuck about that kind of bullshit, man. Those people, I mean, the, the 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 package is successful, whether it's got a title on it or not. And the reason they kept putting the titles on it because the package was successful. And frankly, I didn't want to be the title. I didn't want to be the. But the more titles that you got in WCW, the more you got to work. You got to be on every show, every TV taping, every pay-per-view, everything. So in essence, your salary don't go up, but your work goes up. So in essence, it's not as glamorous as everybody thinks it is. It's just the fact that when they put the titles on other people, nobody really got behind those guys. So they had to put them back on us. Everything. So, it always looked that way. So, it was all, it was all good, though. It was part of the game, man. I feel like Harlem Heat was always in that Ric Flair role where, like you just said, like, you know, you're trying to get the, the other guy over. Let's see if it works. And, like, nope, let's give it back to uh, Flair. Nope, let's give it back to the Harlem Heat. You ever think about that? Like, you guys were kind of in that player role multiple chance times. Well, we knew, we knew where, where we were on the totem pole. Yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. And the fans did, too. When the fans thought tag team wrestling in the 90s, they thought Harlem Heat first, and we knew that. Well, that's the position we were trying to put ourselves in. Like I said, when it came to tag team wrestling, we we studied it. We, we didn't study. Um, we studied everybody. We, were, we studied guys like, you know, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. The fantastics, you know, things like that. A lot of people think, okay, we we studied um, uh, the Road Warriors or something like that. No, we didn't. We always studied the cohesive tactics and how to bring it into our style. Or the you dooms, guys were great. Great chemistry, very cohesive. You know, we didn't, you know, so it was like most tag teams are the same. If it's either two big guys or two little guys. We were a good-sized guy and a very big guy. So we had to know how to make that work. You know, I'm the big guy, so I do the big guy stuff. My brother is the athlete. He does the athlete stuff. But we do it to make it seem like it's cohesive, like dancing. So that's what we worked on. You guys to make were, it look like, like, like it's in, excuse me. You guys were like poetry out there. Yeah, we want to make everything look like it's in sync and like it's smooth, you know, and fluent. And those are the things we worked on. You know, not fifty thousand spots and fifty thousand these kind of you know high spots and this that and the other. And at the end of the day, you didn't do nothing. You never told a story. You never got the fans into it. All that stuff was important to us. You never got the other team over. It's important. I don't care how far down on the totem pole they are. Get them over. That's our job. Little things like that. And those are the things we have been taught from working with very expensive people. So they get you in a mindset of 
how to get in the ring to make money and whether to draw money. And I feel so like Carl was very always, conscious of. Yeah, and you guys were always kind of like the, the go-to. Like I was saying, like the flareable. Like they, they really put a lot of pressure on you guys. Not really pressure, but a lot of, um, you know, power on you guys or a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of booking prowess on you guys that they were constantly kind of kind of go back to the well, whether it be against Stars and Stripes or the Nasty Boys or, or Stud Stable, I mean, or, or even later on American Males and Public Enemy, where they kind of flip the title kind of quick, trying to get the other team over, and then they bring you guys back as champs. Any of those teams, like, stick out to you as really being enjoyable to work? Because you and the Nasty Boys seem like uh, some good characters. I mean, we, work, we, we, we enjoy pretty much working with everybody. We enjoy pretty much working with everybody. We enjoy working, period. Just being in the ring. Just being in the ring. Just getting in the ring and doing your thing. That's what it's about. That's what we pride ourselves on doing, being able to work with anybody. And have a decent match with them. You know, we were more into the art of what we did, not the... Not the prowess of looking at it from like a fan. We into the art. And the WWE the art, of an, tag the art of entertainment. Excuse me. Oh yeah, the uh, WWE tag division at, at that point was was so stacked. There were so many great teams, and obviously you guys were kind of anchoring it. But did you feel at that point that there were so many good opponents for you guys to kind of mesh with? So many different styles, so many different guys. No, because that's pro wrestling. If it all looked the same, nobody wants to see it. Hmm. Now you got cook. Now you got cookie cutter, and I think that's pretty much what you got today. Cookie cutter. I mean, you put the same thing in the door, and the same thing comes out. Just different names and different uh, outfits. If that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Now, do you watch a lot of? Current wrestling, or is it too cookie cutter for you? To I mean, I mean what I mean when I can. I mean when I can, not as much as you know. I mean when I can. I can't really sit down and watch, you know, a three-hour show of wrestling. I look at it when I can. I usually try to watch the tail end of a show, whatever's happening in the main event or something like that. That's basically what I watch. Now, are you a fan of these kind of? scripted promos, these, you know, teleprompter-esque promos and things like that? To be honest with you, not very much. Not very much. And that's what I, that's, that goes back to the same thing when I'm talking about cookie cutter. All the interviews sound the same. You know, in our day, that's what got, that was half your money right there. The promos. That's half your money. Nowadays, I don't really think people care if they hear you do a promo or not, in a lot of ways. Back in my day, you couldn't wait for the guy to do an interview and talk about who he's going to you know, get in the ring with and some of the things he would say, some of the most disparaging things he could think of about it. It was so funny. You know, everybody back in those days, even the promos were... Uh, You competed in promos. I got to do a better promo than so-and-so. You see what I'm saying? 
That's competition. That's entertainment. And it makes you better at your promos because you're always trying to think of something better than the next guy. But if somebody writing it all, then where's the creativity in that? But, you know, that's today, though. You know, that's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. You know, and I got to say, with both you and Booker, I mean, you guys were always talking, whether you're coming out to the ring, you know, or you're in the ring, you're talking <laughs> trash. You guys were just natural. I love that. was one of my favorite parts. When you guys would come to the ring, that you'd be talking right into the camera. Now, was that something that you guys kind of talked about ahead of time, or was that just natural once you got your mugs in front of the you camera? Know, you know something, brother? I, you know, I don't know what. We've never talked about anything other than what we were going to do in the ring. A lot of things we just did, you know, instinctively. A lot of things we just did instinctively because it was just a natural progression. And, you know, uh, then once we start doing it and we see ourselves doing it, then we're like, Okay, now we're gonna really choreograph it when we go out there. You get in front of camera, then you move this way, and then I get right in front of it. You know what I'm saying? We start choreographing when we get <laughs> because we used to hear people say exactly what you said. Hey man, I love when you guys come out, y'all talking crap to the camera, and we, you know, because a lot of that we don't even realize we're doing it. And go, oh, oh man, people like that. Oh, okay, well let's just do it even better then. <laughs> Stuff like that, people bring it to your attention. Like, okay, let's make it even better. Then we would get in the ring, and we would walk up to the guys and, like, talk lip to them, like, you want my belt, punk? You want this belt, punk? You man enough to take it, punk? You know what I'm saying? And push them in the chest. And we never would tell the guys that we were going to do that because we wanted a real instinctive way reaction. We wanted an instinctive reaction. We didn't want a work reaction, you know? And people love that, too, you know? So, yeah, a lot of stuff just kind of like came up to us on the fly. You did it once. Okay, that worked. Let's do it again. So we kind of like came up with all of that. Huh? I, I was always wondering, you know, where 110th Street was because you came out every single time. And you talk about 110th Street, I'm like, Jesus, that's a place you definitely don't want to, uh, you don't want to meet the Harlem <laughs> Heat in because uh, apparently every time they come out, they're ready to take you there. Right. So, you know, I mean, the whole the whole persona of what we what we did was about, you know, tough guys that want to fight, you know, tough guys that want to fight. We get out here and do it, man, and that's what it was, and we enjoyed it, man, and we're glad the fans enjoyed it because to this day, you know, I can't go anywhere without somebody noticing me and going, hey, are you Stevie Ray? Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I love you and your brother, man. I can't watch rest. I can't watch tag teams now because they don't have guys like you guys, and that, that makes that's flattering, brother. It really, it really is, and uh, it's cool. I like it. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't really know. realize. Uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Continue. I'm just saying, I didn't really realize how much a residual that we really had on fans for a long time. I really did. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier about you know the Hall of Fame and the the way that the Northeastern fans take to you. I mean. 
WWE talks about you basically every time that Booker is on a panel or whether he's on uh, you know a commentary on a pay-per-view or on Raw. There's always a Harlem Heat reference. They always talk about the tag team psychology. So Booker is really right. keeping it alive every single week. But also, I mean, are you, I'm sure you are just from the, the brotherly side too, but are you proud to see how great Booker has taken to being a commentator as well? Because he's now an absolute staple of WWE's commentary team for at least the last five, six years. Yeah, and it's something they really needed also. It's something they really needed. You can get the bubblegum component out of it, man. You know, you need to get some some real wisdom out here, you know, and that's what uh, I think that's what he's bringing to the table. Fortunately, met with some criticism at points, but I think that that's the reason why he's been criticized is because they're so used to the cookie cutter and they're so used exactly. to the norm that WWE tells you, well, this is what an announcer and a color guy is supposed to be, that when Booker gets out right. there, there was one time, I mean, it was, I want to say it was about a month or two ago, I don't know if it was a pre-show or the panel or something, but he—I I can't remember if he said it or if somebody said something—and he shot them a look, or somebody cut him off, and he shot them a look, and just that look alone told the story about how he is not the cookie cutter announcer. And I love that <laughs> he's still able to to get in there and do that. But do you see that it's a natural for him too, just to watch him, and that he's obviously. Uh, he's having fun while he's doing it because he gets to kind of be, you know, himself while he's on the air. And, and, and that's what you need, man. That's one thing you need instead of, like you said, the norm, the cookie cutter. You've got to bring flavor to the game. You've got to. Because people don't realize how important the announcers are sometimes, especially when things are the way they are now. You don't have the big – you know, wrestling today – the wagon really pulls itself, whereas back in my day, the stars pulled the wagon. There were no two people that were the same. There were no two people that did promos the same. There were no two tag teams that looked similar. Oh, you might have had a couple of that looked similar, you know, here and there, because everybody started trying to imitate the road warriors there for a second. And that was one thing me and my brother talked about. We said we want to be all tag teams in one. We want to be all the great tag teams in one. I remember saying that. So, if you want to wrestle, we got wrestling. If you want to get strength and power, we got that. And we're going to put it all together. And we're going to be the best tag team, you know, in a generation. We used to talk about that. So, in essence, the same thing. The same thing with uh, what we see on television today now. The wagon is pulled. The wagon doesn't need the guys to put it anymore because you can always – um, it's like a football team. Uh, they all got the same uniform on, just different numbers. It's become WWE is the touring entity that has the WWE superstars rather than Hulk Hogan right. coming to your town. Oh, and there has exactly. to be a bunch of other wrestlers there. It's it's completely right. changed. And that's, I right. mean, you know, exactly. in a way, that's what Vince always wanted. But now it's really taking place, especially now that they're training guys that are coming straight from right. other world, and they're grooming them to be what the WWE superstar is supposed to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's and I'm not saying I'm not trying to say anything bad or disparaging about them or anything like that. That's just the way I see it. You know, that's just the way I see it. And every now and then, it's good to see like the Hardy Bars of the the Hardy Bars come back or. 
uh, uh, Devon, the Dudley boys, you know, come back. It's good to see that thrown in there some, just to offset everything that's going on. I, you know, a little different. Other than that, we got the same thing. You know, I was looking at this one. I was, they had a show here a month or so ago, and I went down to the show, and, and uh, I was talking with Luke Gallows and uh, uh, Anderson, and they asked me to be in a video with them. And uh, I was actually getting ready to leave. I had got a lot of food from catering and put it in this thing, and I was getting ready to leave. I was going to go home and eat. <laughs> and it's like, hey, Stevie, can you be in this video with us? And I go, cool. And uh, they were doing it. I guess it was for the network or whatever. And uh, I said, uh, hey, man, the only two things you guys got to worry about is breaking neck and cashing checks. That's it. Then I walked off. And before I got home, that thing was already posted on YouTube. <laughs> and by the ne- and by the next and by the next day, it already had a hundred thousand views, and, and all these people were calling me, "Hey, man, we was at the WWE show and blah blah blah." This thing is all over YouTube. I said, "Yeah, I saw it when I got home. I got home. I was checking something on my phone, and I, that came up, and I'm like, ain't that something that quick, you know?" And everybody was asking me, "Man, are you get on Facebook? Oh, man, are you going to WWE, man?" I'm like, nah, man, I was just doing a little thing with a couple of guys. Because, you know, they came up and they were asking me about, you know, tag team wrestling and what I thought and so on and so forth. And I really like those guys because they're a little different from the rest of them. You know, they kind of remind me of me and my brother in a way, you know, a big guy and not so big guy. And uh, it works for them. It works for them. One of the very few tag teams that I think even, like, as an old-school fan, you know, John and myself, we gravitate to Gallows and Anderson or even seeing the Hardys now. The actual teams, they got team moves. You know, they got team attire. They they look like a tag team rather than just two guys thrown together. And as simple as it is, that's what we miss. Yes. I mean, tag tag teaming has always been, since I was a little bitty kid, an intricate part of when you went to the wrestling show. It was always a big part because it's so exciting. So many things can happen in a tag match. You just can't get from a singles match. And people love it. You can entertain in so many different ways because you got so many people, especially in house shows when you can really do things that you can't do on the TV shows, you know. You know, just, that can be so funny or people get a big kick out of it. And, you know, that's what we loved about it, you know. And, hey, Hey, you know, it is what it is nowadays, but uh, hey, hopefully people can still enjoy it. I, I hope it just never dies. And it seems like in certain ways it's, it's kind of coming back a little bit. Oh, there's for sure. There's a hardcore fan base, no doubt. And i got to ask this. Before John starts getting into uh, kind of the, uh, the wrap-up portion of the show, i got to ask this. Huge uh, NWO fans. And how could we not mention the former leader of the NWO black and white Stevie Ray, if you can, just kind of take us back. The NWO, it obviously took over the, the WCW for a very long time. When you got into it, it had a different look to it. But what do you think about being a part of the NWO towards the, uh, the later half of the, uh, the organization's run in WCW? I had a lot of fun, man. It was pretty cool. It was a little different than what I had been doing. and It was cool to me, man. I really loved being in the NWO, even though people said, oh, man, you were the leader at one time. Man, I was like... I was telling some guys this on uh, on my podcast one day. I mean, I was like Fonzie with Richie and Ralph Mouth and all those guys down at Al's Diner, man. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Potsy and all these guys, Chachi. Uh, it was kind of like that by then, you know. But uh, but we had some fun, man. We really did. We had fun, man. Me, myself. I mean, me. Uh, who who else was it? Uh, uh, Virgil, uh, Scott Norton, Horace Hogan, um, uh, Brian Adams. Uh, our little gang now, because we kind of like hung together too, you know. So it was kind of cool, man. We had a good time. I enjoyed. It. You're forgetting. You're forgetting one guy that I, I was. I'm glad you left him out because I got this is the only other NWL question I had for you, and it is I think the most memorable skit that you were a part of with the NWL Black and White was the limousine pulling up to the private jet, and Kurt Hennig getting kicked out of the group, and I believe it was you and Virgil pulling up in another car. But the fact that you guys were kicking Kurt Hennig out of the NWO in such brutal fashion. I don't know why that just uh, that I remember that one very fondly, but do you have any recollection of this this skit? It was outside of a, of an air, uh, airplane. You guys were getting in the cars. I don't know if it was the limo, the, the Cadillac, or something, but you guys kicked Kurt Henning out of the NWO. And I, I remember that. I remember. I remember that. I think I can't remember exactly what we were when we did that though. I, I, I think we were in Florida somewhere. I don't remember what city, because a lot of those things we had to shoot like early in the day or the day before. Before you put them on the, before they put them on the show. So, uh, but I do remember that though, um, vaguely. But I remember it. And uh, Kirk was a good friend of mine, man. Good friend of mine. We used to have a lot of good times together, man. You know, I, I really miss him, man. God rest his soul, man. He's he's a good dude, man. And I remember us kicking him out for some reason. But uh, yeah, it was funny, man. All, all those little skits were funny, man. Some of those kids we've done, man, we don't, we, I remember one we did, I'm at the Daytona 500, right? Because back in those days, uh, uh, we had a, we had two cars, Bush, we had a Bush car and a Cup car. And, uh, you know, we sent some of the wrestlers out to do the promotions with the car. And uh, with all the guys at the, uh, that were raced the Cup car, well, all the crew guys, they loved me because I'm a race, I'm a race fan, you know, and not only that, I'm a hot rodder, so I know cars, so I would come out to the track and talk to these guys about, like, wrestlers talk wrestling, I'm talking to them about racing and certain events and stuff, like, so they would go, man, how do you know all of this stuff, and I'm going, hey, man, I'm a, I grew up watching this stuff, man, I grew up a huge fan, so I met the Daytona 500, man, I think it was like 97, 98, somewhere in there. And then they called, they say, they're shooting this thing in Tampa with this NWO thing. Well, we got to be out in this big field, and I think we got a helicopter, and we got Randy Savage out. I can't remember. No, Randy was in there. I can't remember. It was some big thing. We had somebody out in the field, and uh, I don't know who was thinking these things up. And they was like, hey, uh, you got to leave and go to Tampa. I'm like, What? Yeah, they're going to shoot this thing tonight in Tampa, so you got to leave. And it's like 10 laps left in the race. And I don't even get a chance to see the end of the race, man. I was so pissed off that we had to drive to Tampa from Daytona. Oh, man, I was I was hot, bro. And we're out there filming this stuff. We all got these black suits on and these hoodies on and, you know, black gloves, and nobody can see who it is. And I can't, I can't remember who we were, you know, terrorizing. And uh, um, I, 
we were like three o'clock in the morning shooting this stuff, man. And I'm like, I got to do all the day. I, did, did I really have to be here? We all got black on. Who's gonna know who's who? You know. <laughs> who's gonna know who's who, man? I mean, oh lord, whatever, brother. But hey, that's that was pro wrestling, man, and I enjoyed it. It's a big part of my life, and uh, I'm just glad I was able to do something that touched people that I can look back on and be be pretty proud of, man. That was pro wrestling, man. For sure, definitely. And as we start to wind it down a bit here, the Harlem Heat, one obviously one of the greatest teams ever, just meshed well with so many different tag teams, wrestled. My God, I mean, Sting and Luger, when they were a tag team, you guys had great matches. The Outsiders, uh, the Blue Bloods, which is a weird team. Hell, even the crazy <laughs> Cole Twins. But one team that really stuck out to me. <laughs> the Cole Twins. They were good guys. <laughs> They were an interesting people. One team that really stood out to me that you guys wrestled, and it felt like you guys wrestled for the better part of like three years in a row, it felt like, and that was the Steiner brothers. Did you like wrestling yeah. with Steiners? I always feel you guys had awesome chemistry. We must have had a thousand, thousand matches with those guys, man. And we must have. But uh, one of my favorite teams, man. One of my favorite teams. We all got along good. We all... Uh, I mean, not only did we wrestle in the pay-per-views and the TV shows together, we went on. We was always on the road together, also, you know. So, uh, the the, the Steiner brothers and Hall of Me will always be linked together in history, in time. Will always be linked together. Them and the Nasty Boys will all three teams will all be because we all had some knockdown, dragout fights through the years, and people loved them. Amazing matches, amazing feuds, and uh, obviously, you know, maybe the Cold Twins aren't a part of that. It was amazing feuds, and amazing matches, but I did have to bring that up. I had to bring them up. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did because I forgot about them, man. But uh, the Cold Twins were cool. Guys. They were, I, I liked it. They came in. They were, we was kind of like there at the same time we came in, man. But uh, you know, back in those days, we were all just coming into WCW. We, we all had fun together, man. I mean, people don't really realize, man. Uh, like I always say, I never took professional wrestling home with me, but I miss so many of the guys. I miss the camaraderie with some of the guys and stuff like that and some of the good times that we had on the road. And just boys being boys, man, and things of that nature, brother. I'll, I'll never forget I'll never forget it, brother. Hey, it was, it was a part of my life that, uh, like I said, I'm glad I was able to live and touch other people and Brought you, brought a little joy into your home and made you forget about your troubles for a minute. That's what I'm proud of. And even when you had your retirement from the ring, you know, had to have the uh, the career match, if you will, career versus title against Scotty Steiner. Even after that, you were so entertaining in the booth as a commentator. I was just curious. You know, you're saying yak and suckers got to know. Where do you? Where, like, where does that stuff come from? Where do Where do you get these? I don't know. One-liners. I, you know what? I don't even know. I don't even know, bro. I swear to God. Yeah, I hear something. I, a lot of stuff was stuff that I, you know, I, I, I guess I said in my daily life. <laughs> I just took it on television. <laughs> stuff like that. Like, suckers got to know. Uh, 
<laughs> Actually, I tell you what, I, I know where I got that one from. Uh, I was watching the movie JFK, and and the, and the Kevin Bacon uh, uh, part. Uh, I guess he was playing. He was playing a guy named Willie O'Keefe. who was in jail, and the guys come to talk to him in jail, and he was like, and the Jim Garrison character, Kevin Costner character, goes, "Why are you telling us this?" And they say, "Cause people need to know. People got to know." <laughs> what he said, <laughs> I'll never forget how he looked and how he talked. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'll never forget that, man. And, I, you know, once it came out on uh, cable, you know, yeah, I got to see that a few times. So that's where it came from, Kevin Bacon, when he said, you know, people got to know that he was <laughs> a communist. Yeah, go ahead and put me on the stand. You know, <laughs> that was funny. Oh, my God. I'm one of those guys that when I watch movies, certain things pop out and stick with me, you know, and that right there. And so I just turned the people into suckers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these need to know. That is awesome. And do you know, to this day, to this day, uh, Facebook, Twitter, stuff like that, people are still sending me these phrases. They know him better than me. I forgot. I forgot about <laughs> Yeah, man, suckers got to know. I, 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 I'm going to have to, man. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. So it's all good, though, brother. But you're right about that, man. And people love that stuff, man. I mean, they and the fruit booties, That I think that was the biggest one. Fruit booty. Oh, yeah. That was the biggest one. It's been times I've been riding down the street. It's been times I've been riding down the street in my car, and somebody recognized you. You know, some young kids or something, and they would scream out, "Hey, super!" <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't do nothing but shake my head. I'm like, really? Oh my god! And my daughter was very little at that time, and I remember her. Asked, my her, her mother asked me one day, you got to stop saying things around your daughter. And I'm going, why? Because that's another thing I used to say in my everyday life. I just take it on the shelf. She says she's calling people fruit booties now. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, like a four, four-year-old, four, five-year-old kid, you know, four years old, calling people fruit booties. And I'm like, oh, Lord. So that is awesome. I, I guess it got over, man, if my... Three, four-year-old daughter was saying, I guess it actually got over. Oh, it, it got over huge. I used to love when you used to call the ladies yaks. Tony, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny, man. It was funny to me. We used to make ourselves laugh, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, somebody better watch these yaks. They're trying to get your back pocket. Keep your eye on them. <laughs> A lot of people don't know. I also used to write for the WCW magazine. Also, I wrote an article every month. Oh. And I wrote an article. I wrote an article about the yaks. And I, I came. I came to work, and all those girls were mad. <laughs> they were mad. I ain't lying, but uh, hey, they were like, "What are you talking about?" I mean, all these girls, you know, the Nitro girls, and all these other girls, you know. Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? I'm like, look, man, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just superficially I'm talking now. Don't take it serious. Well, I was talking about hey, all Yax. of them. Yax was over, though. Yeah, it was. 
You know? And people just ask me that all the time. What is that? I say somebody's a chick. That's it. A chick. Just watch your back pocket, that's all. And I used to love that you would kind of call out Tony, like if he wasn't paying attention to something or, or if he really wasn't looking at you, you'd call him out and say, Tony, why aren't you paying attention to this yak? Or why don't you, you know, <laughs> paying attention to this fruit booty? <laughs> me and Tony had fun, man. Me, him, and Mike today, we would go, we would go in to do our pre-tape, you know, before we went out, man, and go over certain things. And then afterwards, we'd go through our post stuff, and we would laugh so hard at some of the stuff that we did, man. And, uh, you know, I miss those guys, man. Uh, and uh, Mike Tanay, I've talked to him a few times on Facebook. And Tony, like I said, I did a show yesterday. Uh, but I haven't, I've only seen like a few times since we stopped working together. I've seen Mike a few times also. And, uh, man, man, we had good times, man. Uh, all the stuff you're bringing up right now, I've never uh, put it all in this, uh, in context like we're doing tonight, man. That's uh, pretty interesting. Hey, I told you, uh, you know, off air, I've met a message. I said it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to, we're not going to do the, the same old, same old. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Hey, I was looking at some of you guys' guests. You guys had Jesse Ventura on? Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> oh, okay, because he's, uh, he's doing a new show on RT now. He is, uh, he uh, is a crazy that, that, guy. Uh, yeah, me and Jesse used to have... Uh, crazy, some cool conversations and stuff, man, back when he was working with WCW. I love it. You know, I used to love his television show. But Jesse is a lot like some of, you know, I, by, you know, doing a lot of studying of history, you know, in the last 20 years or so, um, I'm right on pace with him when it comes to lies that's been told by you know, textbooks, school books, government, all that stuff. Just lies. So I know exactly where he's coming from. You know, I, I was having a conversation with my brother, my older brother, a couple of years ago. We was going to Dallas to see my aunt. She wasn't going so good. And I was telling my brother, man, everything that I grew up believing is a lie. Everything. I actually believed uh, Adolf Hitler. I mean, not Adolf Hitler, but... uh. Uh, Abraham Lincoln actually wanted to free slaves. That's a lie. When you really read what he said before the war began. So, but as a kid, you grow up, hey, all these people went to war to save black folks. Yeah, really. So, if people can lie about that, they can lie about anything. Yeah, definitely check one. out uh, that show, Hunting Hitler. Why was America looking for him in uh, August of 1945 when he was supposedly dead in April of 1945? Interesting stuff. Let me, let me ask you this. Why don't, why don't we ever hear anything about people from the West that financed Hitler to come to power? Hmm. Interesting. Very true. But I'm going to hear about that. You know? That is super true, yeah. Like like bank, bankers like Avril Harriman, Prescott Bush. You ever heard that name, Bush? Hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm like, okay, how can a guy's son run for president and the guy running against him doesn't bring that up? Hey, look, uh, Mr. Bush, didn't your father work for a bank that financed him? Wouldn't that be the uh, feather in the cap to win the cap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, how is it you don't bring that up? <laughs> I mean, what the? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Okay, before you two guys fight, we got parameters here. You can't bring up anything about World War Two. Okay. You can talk about everything else, though. Okay. Got it. Uh, okay. <laughs> we can't bring that up. I guess that's the rules, like when they, when, a, when the referee tells two boxers like they get ready to fight. Okay, can't bring up anything that's related to finance and Hitler. Oh, okay. Okay, what else can I talk about? Then? <laughs> uh, pretty much nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right, well, Stevie, before they, the, the, the powers that be swoop in and kick us off the air for uh, uncovering conspiracies, <laughs> and, and Jesse the Body Ventura pops up from beneath the ground and said he's been here the whole time since we uh, we got up and hold him. Hey, I, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's take it back to the podcast. Give us one last pitch for it. Obviously, you're doing a lot of great things. You're having a lot of fun with it. And it's Stand for Greatness with Stevie Ray. But give us one last pitch about the podcast and what the listeners can look forward to with downloading one, two, or maybe even three episodes of your podcast. Well, you know, if they can go to it, they get a free trial. If they like it, hey, man, keep it up, subscribe. If you don't like it, you don't have to. That's Stevie Ray, Stand Up for Greatness. It's on Title Match. You know, go to Title Match Wrestling. Title Match Wrestling and uh Got a lot of good things on there, man. Got a lot of good things on there. YouTube channels, the whole thing. And uh, we're coming up, man. I'm My special guest, I'm going to pull this guy from under the rug next week because nobody wants to talk to him. I've already did his podcast. The man tried to sully my name, tried to, tried to say disparaging things about me, tried to twist my words. I'm not going to let him do it. I'm not going to let anybody do it. He goes by the name of Vince Russo. I'm going to have that black-hearted individual on my show next week, live, live. I'm going to be streaming live, and this guy is going to chime in on Skype, and I'm going to get, I'm going to really get in his ass. I'm going to really expose him for the black-hearted individual that he is, and I want everybody to know it. I want everybody to see it. I'm also working on a uh, a way for fans to call in. If I don't have it ready next week, I'm going to have it ready the week after that. I want people to call in. You guys can call in and ask them something if you want to. And don't be shy because we're going to expose this black-hearted individual for what he is and a guy that's a big part of what you see on professional wrestling today that he started and now he wants to complain about it. I'm going to expose him. Just want to get that out there. Yeah, I uh, I gotta tell you, I think John will be call number two because he's gonna want to know what Vince Russo would have done with the Cole Twins in late '90s uh, WCW. So I think uh, <laughs> I think you got you got one caller there with John dying to know more about the uh, about the Cole Twins. But before we let you go, before we get to your your plugs and where else we can find you on social media. Just thinking about the legacy of what you and your brother did as a tag team and thinking about what you left in professional wrestling, what do you want the fans to remember about Stevie Ray when the book is closed, the lights are off, the party's over, and the fans look back on the career of Stevie Ray? You know what? 
I just want people to remember me as one of the guys. I was just a guy out doing what I could do to entertain people, and I was just a straight-up, no-nonsense, everyday happy-go-lucky guy. That's it. Nothing special. And uh, and definitely for helping bring the word sucker into the regular vernacular of the wrestling fans. So we we credit you for that. <laughs> but well, a few a few other guys had it. A few other guys had it before me. I just kind of like took it to another level. That's all. <laughs> well, I'm a sucker. I know John's a sucker. But Stevie, tell these other suckers that are listening where they can find you in the world of social media and anything else you got going on besides the podcast in the world. Hey man, they can find they can they can find me on Twitter at the real Stevie Ray. They can find me on Facebook Stevie Ray Athlete. And uh, they can also find me on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm going to start using Instagram. I had stopped for a long time, but I'm starting it back up because, hey, man, we're trying to get the word out there any way we can. And, hey, man, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. And, hey, it was fun, man. This is the first podcast I've done in quite some time that I actually enjoyed doing. I will tell you that. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.